You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you writing my biography or what? <laughs> okay, here's the story. Sunmei Chang, also known as May, grew up in Taiwan, raised by parents passionate about social issues. It rubbed off. In the 1960s, she moved abroad for grad school at Yale. By the way, that's the best way to meet your future spouse, because you're exposed to, to that same intense atmosphere. I mean, half of the time you're scared to death. Yale is, in fact, where May met her future spouse. She was sitting in a library studying. I was taking an economics course, and I had a question. May was struggling with all these dense theories of economic development, and a guy named Uwe Reinhardt, another grad student, saw her sitting by herself. He came over and offered to help. She explained her question. And then he said, you know, I have just the right paper for you, but it's in my place. <laughs> so he says, you know, we can go get it. Uva was a charmer. They went back to his place. The ambience was fantastic. Uva made May jasmine tea. And he put on music. It was Beethoven. And then he lit a fire in the fireplace. <laughs> and we discussed the paper. They also talked about themselves. Uwe told her about his childhood in post-war Germany, living with his family. They lost their house, and they found a little tool shed in the countryside. So they moved there. It was the mother and grandmother and five little children. There was no hot water, no heat, no electricity. And in the wintertime, when the wind blew, the cold came in. You know, they would wake up with a sheet of ice on their chest because their, their breath would come out and then would freeze into ice that would sit on their chest. But one thing they all had, he and his siblings, was health care. When we were paupers, my family, we had health insurance like everyone else in Germany. I've never forgotten that. This is Uva speaking decades later, in 2009, on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. He's since passed away, but as this interview makes clear, his childhood inspired a lifelong passion, making sure that everyone had access to health care. And I would like the American people to have what I had and my mother had as a kid. So that is why I care. That is why I care. Those were his words. That is why I care. It's also why, in the 1980s, Uva and May went to Taiwan. They wanted to help build a transformative new healthcare system in May's home country, one that would eventually give millions of Taiwanese people access to healthcare. 25 years later, that Taiwanese system is still in place, and it looks a lot like a pitch we're hearing from presidential candidates here in the United States. We have got to pass a Medicare for all single payer system. I'm with Bernie on Medicare for all. Medicare for all. A Medicare for all program. 
the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is The Impact. I'm Jillian Weinberger. This season, we're looking at the big, bold ideas from presidential candidates and seeing how they've played out in other places or at other times. Today, healthcare. Specifically, the healthcare plan that's backed by Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. It's a single-payer plan, or Medicare for All, where everybody gets health insurance from the government. This is a proposal that's revolutionary here in the United States, but Taiwan has had a very similar plan in place for a quarter of a century. So Vox's healthcare reporter, Dylan Scott, went to Taiwan with our producer, Bird Pinkerton. They wanted to figure out how Taiwan built a healthcare system that covers everybody and how that system is working. Dr. Han Jen Chang was there at the very beginning as Taiwan's national health insurance took shape. We met him at his office in downtown Taipei. When did you first realize that you wanted to be involved in medicine? It's not me. It's my father. He's a matter-of-fact guy, not prone to dreamy idealism. My father said, you better be a doctor. You're not a very good businessman. <laughs> Simple. Hung Jen started working in Taiwanese public health in the 1980s. And he could see that a lot of people in his country were struggling to afford health care. There were programs to give health insurance to a few select groups, like farmers and fishermen, but only the workers were covered, not their families. Overall, only about half of the people in Taiwan had health insurance. He says people mostly only sought out care for dramatic problems. It's a stroke, it's a heart attack, it's an accident, car accident. And after they got treated, how do you pay? It was such a problem that it became the plot point for a bunch of Taiwanese soap operas in the 1980s, like this one. You know, a beautiful daughter uh, cannot uh, marry uh, who she loves because it's her father has a cancer. She needs to pay for that, so she was forced to... These are the, the classical soap opera. <laughs> we need a full workout. This could be serious. No, I'm okay, and I need every dime to make ends meet. This is not a Taiwanese soap opera from the 1980s. It's an American soap opera in 2018, The Resident. A lovable contract worker at the hospital gets sick, the staff rush her into an MRI, and then a penny-pinching colleague shows up. Get her out of that machine. We're almost finished. She's uninsured. She can't pay for her treatment. That's all to say, the problems Taiwan was facing four decades ago should sound kind of familiar in the U.S. today. But for Taiwan, there was a new hope. Right as Hong Jen was starting his career, the Taiwanese government was going through big democratic changes. They were gearing up for their first direct presidential elections. The people in power knew they needed something bold to get votes. So they decided they were going to build a new health insurance system. At that time, yes, we welcomed the, the message, but we are not sure how on earth they are going to do that. So that's how we got involved. Mayanuva flew over from the United States. They were part of a whole host of foreign experts that Taiwan brought over to advise them on their new healthcare system. All of these advisors and members of the Taiwanese government, they would have long meetings and banquets and debates about different systems. Should they copy Japan, Switzerland, the UK? At the end of each day, May and Uva would have long discussions back at their hotel, preparing for the next meeting. There was this one critical meeting. It was like a square table with a hollow. 
So people sat on four sides, and the question was thrown at Uva: What would you recommend that we do about the existing systems? Uva was his charming self. He didn't say you must do this or you must do that. He laid out options. He told jokes, but eventually he said, "He said, yeah, if I were Taiwan, I would go single pair." It didn't quite land. People scratch their heads. Single pair? What is that? Uvan May went back to the hotel. They talked some more, and he came up with the term "single pipe." In the current system, Uva said, you had lots and lots of different groups of patients, and there were lots of pipes flowing from these different groups, directing insurance payments to different providers. Single payer would mean one big group of patients and one pipe of payments. One pipe out of which flow all the money, i.e., payments to providers. He had a slide trying to explain why that will work. So, so he actually draw the pipes. Then people understood. And the following day, all the media carried this news. You know, foreign expert recommend single pipe for Taiwan. <laughs> Eventually, Uva's recommendation became Taiwan's plan. They were going to have single pair, single pipe insurance, and things proceeded in a perfect, orderly way from there. It's crazy. These are crazy days. Just kidding. It was chaos. The insurance plan was supposed to roll out in the 2000s, six years after it passed. But then, thinking about the upcoming elections, the leader of Taiwan said, "Let's implement it uh, in 1995." He moved it up single-handedly by five years. So then everybody was scrambling. Were you mad that they set the timeline so quick? There's no time to be mad. <laughs> Hong Jen was in a lower administrative role at this point. But he saw all the things that needed to happen in just a few short months. They had to make health insurance cards. They had to negotiate with providers and set up claim systems at hospitals. They even had to do the basic stuff, like setting up an office. The man who became the first director general of the National Health Insurance, he himself was there, moving boxes, painting the walls. The first director general was so overworked that at one point, while he was on the east coast of Taiwan for an event, he checked into his hotel. And disappeared. He wasn't at the event. Nobody could find him. Nobody can find him because he fell asleep for 18 hours. He was so tired. <laughs> the newspapers were full of stories about the scramble to put things together. And meanwhile, the doctors and the pharmacists and the hospitals were worried about their bottom lines. The labor union groups were protesting. They chanted outside legislative buildings and put on skits mocking the country's leadership. Nobody was optimistic that this system will work. If you、uh, if you look at let me let me let me try try to find. At this point in our conversation, Hong Jen Chang gets an assistant to grab him a chart, shows the polling for the national health insurance over time. There's a blue line for disapproval and a red one for approval, and we see right at the beginning, before the program is rolled out, approval was low, like. Less than forty percent of people approved of the program, but then people start to receive the benefit. Almost overnight, millions of people suddenly had health insurance. They could go to the doctor or the hospital without creating a soap opera-style drama about costs, and they liked their new affordable care. Within six months, it's like a miracle. From the spring of 1995 to the fall of 1995. 
the little approval line spiked upward, up to almost 60%. And after that, there were dips and spikes, but it climbed steadily. One of those spikes came after Hong Jen Chang took over as the director of the program, because he had an even more ambitious plan. Uh, let me show you. Let me show you. One that also requires show and tell. Uh, not everyone has this uh, kind of map. Oh, wow. In a corner of his office, Hong Jen has a beautiful, brightly colored map of Taiwan. It's topographic, which means there are actually green and brown mountains rising up from the page. We are here. He shows us Taipei, where we are, in a valley. There's another valley along the west, and there's a small one in the east. And then the rest of the island is just mountain after mountain after mountain, thousands of meters high and tightly packed together. When Hong Jen became the director of Taiwan's National Health Insurance, he thought there are people living up in those mountains. Small aboriginal groups scattered throughout. And right now, it's still hard for them to get health care. So I went to every single mountain villages and offshore islands. It took him three years, but he did it to figure out how do you make sure that a kid in a remote village can get access to asthma medication, even if a typhoon has just washed out the roads? How do we make sure that highly qualified doctors rotate through these isolated areas? All right, Dylan, it's 6, 10 in the morning. Where are we going? We're going to a rural hamlet in the mountains on the east coast of Taiwan to visit uh, a rural health clinic. Bird and I go to see the results of Hong Jen Chang's efforts. We take a short flight from Taipei to the eastern coast, where a flat valley meets steep mountains covered in green trees. These mountains are no joke. There we get on a little tan bus and rattle off towards a small township. It just goes straight up. The homes are weather-beaten with corrugated metal roofs, and concrete walls. Like a single lane street. Two black dogs lie in the shade of some crates. One house has parakeets out front in a little white cage. The National Health Insurance has a clinic here. There's a giant wooden wheel carved by local indigenous people on the ceiling and paintings on the walls. They have physician's rooms, an x-ray room, a small dental office. Across the street, there's a building for elder care. The walls are lined with yarn dolls and pictures made from dry beans. We watch a light aerobics class. Then we go to a small spare town hall where a man in a suit is delivering traditional Chinese medicine. He took two um, acupuncture needles and he put them in different parts of her knee. All of it is covered by national health insurance. And then there's Dr. Tian. She's a short woman in her late 50s. Her hair has gone white, so she dyed it bright pink and she wears an all-black outfit with black ankle boots. Just for the record, Dr. Chen has a motorcycle helmet that says punk. She had strong punk rock vibes already, and then she just made it literal. <laughs> Dr. Tian rides a moped around this township. She'll drive for hours up into the mountains to give patients care. She's been doing this for decades. We follow her on a visit to a stroke patient's house. There's a step up to the door to keep out the snakes, we're told. And the room is small and boxy. A lot of it is taken up with the man's cot, which has cat print sheets. Dr. Tian takes a blood sugar reading and gives him a thumbs up. A National Health Insurance staffer translates for us. Yeah, she says, you're good today, behave good today because you're not crying. That when his wife is not here, he cries. <laughs> I love, she jokes with like all of yeah, the patients. Yeah, yeah. Just like an old friend to all the patients. Mm. 
Hongzhen knew it wouldn't be cheap or easy to make sure that people living in remote places had access to dentists and elder care and good doctors making house calls. He laughed a lot during our interview, but talking about this, he was really serious. To guarantee access is one of the most important goals of any health care system. When all the rural patients got this coverage, it bumped the little blue line of approval on Hong Jen's graph even higher. It's a trend that's continued. Now, approval is up to 80%. This is miracle. So to put this in context, we looked at a survey of people in other countries. In Germany and Switzerland, about 60% of people thought their system was working well. In the UK and Canada, it was closer to 40%. The US was way down at 20%. All of that is to say, 80% approval is amazing. Miracle. But it makes sense. Healthcare in Taiwan is really accessible, and not just for rural people. There are primary care clinics all over Taipei, run by the National Health Insurance. Everyone has an insurance card that makes it really easy to pull up records anywhere. And it's all super cheap for patients. And yet... Let me ask you, do you think the satisfaction rate over 80%, do you think that's normal? No, I mean... But it seems good, good, right? (laughs) Too good. (laughs) Too good. How do I think it's too good? After the break, how a healthcare system can be too good. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about how popular the Taiwanese system is, and it makes sense. People in Taiwan are living longer because of their national health insurance. But this popular and successful program isn't perfect. Right now, it has two big problems. The first problem is one that every healthcare system is dealing with. Healthcare costs keep going up. And on top of that, there's the wild cost of new niche drugs. For example, take the case of Li Yijie. My interest is seeing movie, and also it's my major. Yijie is 25, she majored in communications, and she loves Titanic. It's classic. Jack! She especially likes that scene at the end Jack. where Rose is on the door and Jack is drowning. Jack! She says it hits you right in the feelings, and that's what she majored in communications to do. Because I think it's very hard you talk about the experience or details of your life. 
but we can using the movie videos to show the audience the all story in short time. That's why she's written song lyrics like the song you're hearing now and a book all about her experiences with a disease called spinal muscular atrophy. We asked her to translate. Translate. It's a homework for me. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but loosely translated, the song is like her book about overcoming obstacles. Because of EJ's disease, she can't walk. She can't move her limbs much or open her mouth very far. And she has to make decisions like will she sit in a wheelchair to talk to two reporters, which is maybe more dignified, or will she, as she decided to do, lie on a bed because it's easier to talk. Even taking shower, sleeping, eating, I have so many struggles. <laughs> yes, so sometimes I feel life is difficult. A few years ago, Yijie found out about a new drug. It seemed like it could make a real difference, if not for her, then for people in earlier stages of her disease. But it's super expensive. The first year is $750,000 US for one year for one patient. Wow. <laughs> yes. It's too expensive for Taiwan's national health insurance to cover. That's hard for Yi Jie, knowing that the medicine exists, but she can't have it. So she thought, you know what? I wrote a book. I write lyrics. I'll write the government a letter. After I write the letters, I give the reporter first. It's a smart way to do that because I'm majoring in communication arts. <laughs> I know how to use it. <laughs> her letter got attention. She told us that government officials came to her home and the president of Taiwan called her. But they only say just they will try their best. There's a committee that meets to discuss the budget for national health insurance. Doctors and hospitals and drug companies and government officials. They all come together to talk about things like covering new drugs, and no matter how compelling and funny and sick Li Yijie is, we have limited financial resources and limited capability. This is Dr. So Shia Cheng. He's a researcher who studies healthcare, but he's also served on that budget committee. We went to meet him at his office in National Taiwan University, and he told us that the reason that drugs like Li Yijie's aren't covered right now is that healthcare costs keep rising. The Taiwanese health insurance just can't afford the new staggering costs of some treatments. In fact, he says, the national health insurance system can't necessarily afford the services they're covering right now. This is the second big problem, one that's more specific to Taiwan's healthcare, and it's a problem that Socia Chang has been studying since 1995, when national health insurance first passed. So we published the paper. That's my first paper, the best so far. <laughs> In that very first paper, two decades ago, Socia studied the elderly. He wanted to see what happened when you made healthcare cheaper and easier to access. Before the new system, the annual number of physician visits is about five, six times. But after, it's jumped to like twelve visit, which means the elderly started going to the doctor twice as much once they got healthcare. Is that good or bad? I don't know. <laughs> I think this is the hospital. We actually wanted to see this for ourselves. Across the street from Socia's office, there's a beautiful red brick hospital. It looks more like a New England college building than a medical facility. Inside, there's a tiled atrium. Here's registration. 
There's a packed registration area where people take little tickets and then wait in chairs for their number to be called. This really is like a DMV vibe. We wander around. Every hallway, every waiting room we see, they're all teeming with people. I mean, I haven't necessarily spent a ton of time in a hospital, but this seems like just bustling, right? Most of the time it's very quite crowded. It was yeah. lots of patients yeah. and well, kind of a little bit like you, you're taking a tour in a supermarket. Sosha tells us that under Taiwan's national health insurance, copays are so low and healthcare is so affordable that people use a lot more of it. That's a problem because it drives up costs and because it puts a lot of strain on providers. And when we reached out to Taiwan's doctors' union, the doctors they put us in touch with agreed. People come in for every little thing the doctors told us. It's overwhelming. We're not Marvel superheroes, one of them complained. Well, personally, I feel that the patients in Taiwan were kind of spoiled by the system. Sure, people love their health care, Socia says. But that's because patients are getting too sweet of a deal. I believe we are too kind to our patient, which is not a good thing, actually. It's not. You probably shouldn't run for political office on that message. Sorry, I would die right away. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes aside, a lot of people are worried. When we talked to the guy who currently runs the national health insurance, he told us that things have to change. And the guy who used to run the national health insurance also told us that something has to be done. He predicted that if nothing changed, the system would go bankrupt in 10 to 15 years. And our researcher was even less optimistic. In two years, yes. What? In two years. years. We heard 10 to 15 years. No, 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 no. (laughs) Wow. So so why is nobody talking about how to prevent that? Nobody's talking about because it's election year. (laughs) Who will take the hot potato? No candidate. They're not stupid, right? So they will just pretend, well... I am not the next person yet. (laughs) I'm going to worry about that later. But this is where the really high support number might be good after all. Even our pessimistic researcher admits that if patients love a system this much, they'll fight to keep it. They will adjust. I believe so. One of the doctors we spoke to said that in the U.S., patients are in hell and the providers, he believes, are in heaven. In Taiwan, he said, the patients are in heaven And the providers are overwhelmed with too many patients coming in. They're in hell. Obviously, this is an oversimplification. But going forward, Taiwan is going to have to find a balance, a way to bring everyone down to earth. That could be done a couple different ways. Either you are willing to pay more as a premium, or you're willing to pay more as a co-payment. Taiwan might also have to create more situations like Li Yijie's, where the government tells patients, I'm sorry. For the good of everyone, we just can't cover this treatment. But even if the Taiwanese people end up with a slightly less heavenly version of their healthcare, the fact remains that their system gives millions of people access to excellent, life-saving care. When I first talked to Mei about the work she and Uva did in Taiwan, I thought, okay, they went and did this in another country. But they lived here in the U.S. and advocated for healthcare reform here, too. So Bert and I asked May, given how well a single-payer, Medicare-for-all-type system worked for Taiwan, shouldn't the U.S. do the same thing? 
it's it's just very very hard to change. Our campaign finance allows the very powerful healthcare lobbying groups to lobby. Our political system is either too corrupt or just say that the American system of governance does not make it likely that a single payer system could ever see the daylight. So what do we what do we do? <laughs> you know um so we could start by, for example, offering a public option. Instead of going all the way to Medicare for All in one step, ease into things. What this means is that the government will offer a public option uh, that is a single payer, and you have that public option option run side by side with the privately run insurance plans. Let them compete. Let them compete. Next time on The Impact, a country that does exactly that. What the public option supported by May and by so many presidential candidates looks like in practice. This episode was co-reported and produced by Bird Pinkerton. The Impact's editor is Amy Drozdowska. Jared Paul mixed and scored this episode with help from Paul Mounsey. And we had music from Poddington Bear and APM with a theme from Jukebox the Ghost. We couldn't have made this episode without help from Mei Chang and Mei Wang. Thanks to Ashley Pond and Andrew Lai. And thanks to Lauren Katz, Marika Baldamberg, and Zach Kahn for all their help with marketing and engagement. Thank you always to Sarah Cliff. And finally, many, many, many thanks to Liz Nelson, our editorial director here at Vox. This story was made possible through a grant from the Commonwealth Foundation. It's part of a larger set of stories about healthcare, and you can find all of them linked in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, could you please take a moment and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? It helps other listeners find the show. And please send comments and questions to impact at vox.com or tweet us at hashtag impact podcast. I'm Jillian Weinberger. Talk to you next week.